All right, well, let's get in, into the Word this morning, if that's cool. Um, uh, I don't want to talk about anything particularly important. Just your future and your eternity and what you're doing with your life. So I don't know if that's relevant at all. My name is Clay, if we've not met before, and I apologize if I am occasionally sarcastic. It's a work that God's trying to get out of me at the moment, but it's, it's going to take a bit more, I think. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Yes, yeah, speak, Lord. Might be a bit of sarcasm at the front as well here, brother. Right. <laughs> okay. The questions I want to explore this morning are, what are you building with your life? Are you building the kingdom of God? Or are you building some other kingdom? Are you working for an uh, eternal inheritance or earthbound wealth that you can't take with you? These are important questions because if we're not careful, we could end up wasting our lives and missing out on something very special in eternity. Anyone think that might be relevant for them? All right. We all work for a living, right? Well, most of us. And if we're not yet in the workforce, we're probably studying and, and training for it, and we've got an eye to that future. Maybe some of us are retired, and we've had our years in the, the workforce now behind us, but we would then understand the value of a, of a good day's work. Now, at the very least, our employment serves to provide for our needs, a roof over our heads, clothes on our back, food in our bellies, kindergarten fees, ballet fees, swimming fees, man, food, more food, (laughs) yeah, hair ties, and that, that's all good. This is how God provides for most of us, most of the time. But for many of us, that job, that career becomes something so much more than just a means for God to provide for our needs. It becomes a means, a lot of the time, for us to provide for ourselves, And to provide for ourselves the life that we want, surrounded by the stuff that we want it becomes the means to build our own kingdom the wilderness i've been speaking to this last last month doesn't always look like a wasteland in fact for most of us the wilderness just looks and feels like life just the normal life we've always known And so I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have no idea what any of this wilderness talk is about. What have I been banging on about? What does it mean? Does it mean anything for me? Is it true? Because you haven't seen anything to suggest that you're in any kind of wilderness at all. You're just living your life. But the wilderness I'm talking about isn't a physical place. 
though it can have some physical realities. It's a spiritual place. And as such, it can be very easy to lose our way in it. And all the more as we let our physical needs and our physical desires drive our lives rather than our spiritual needs. And so we end up trapped in a wilderness that we don't even know exists. And God can't lead us out of it because we're not looking for him to. We're not looking for his leadership. We're not listening for his voice. We're just getting on with life, making the best we can out of the wilderness. And along the way, we may stumble across an oasis or a flock of quail, as in Exodus 15 and 16. And we think, wow, this isn't so bad. We come to like the oasis and we pitch our tent and we hammer the pegs deep, thinking, this is a good place to make a life. I'll be okay here. The next thing you know, 40 years has gone by and we're still in the same place spiritually. And then we die in the wilderness with nothing of any eternal worth to show for the life that Jesus bought with his body on the cross. There are a lot of temptations and traps in the wilderness. One is thinking that the wilderness is all there is. This life that we, we're in, that we know this is all there is. You work, you save, you retire, you play golf. If your hips still work. And then you die. On the golf course. Another trap is uh, mistaking the oasis for our destination. We get a blessing, a promotion, a pay rise, an achievement, something that other people go, wow, that's awesome. And we think, wow, God must really be blessing me. I must be in the right place. So let's pitch a tent. Let's push those pegs in deep because this is where God is. In the oasis, in the middle of the wilderness. The manna that God provided for the Israelites each day, it, uh, it spoiled overnight. It didn't matter how much they collected, anything they didn't eat that day was rotten and full of maggots by the next. Accumulating provisions wasn't an option for Israel while they were in the wilderness. God made it that way because he was trying to teach them something. Everything that happened to them in the wilderness, God was trying to teach them something. And what he was teaching them with the manna is he would provide for them. He would give them everything they needed. But they weren't to go about accumulating provisions and wealth for themselves. That the harder they toil, the more stuff they would get. So that they wouldn't have to worry God anymore. They wouldn't have to depend on him. 
because they've got three or four years worth of mana stored up now. Thank you very much. Their future was in a daily dependence on God. Took them 40 years to learn that lesson. A lot of us haven't learned that yet either. Our lives are oriented towards improving our financial position. They are focused on building security. For some, they are consumed with extracting as much fun as we can out of life or making a mark through achievement. And God's plan for us doesn't really feature. Some of you may think that it's easy for me to preach this message because I work for a church. I have that privilege of my nine to five being kingdom work. But if you've ever worked for a church, you would know just how messed up it can be. And how there is actually even a greater temptation to be deceived and get the whole thing wrong. You'd like to assume that everything that we do working in a church is all for the kingdom and we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. But there is is exactly much risk of us following a salary or a position or job security. And when you look at what a lot of churches seem to be chasing after, a bigger building, numbers and seats, higher tithe numbers, it's like, really? Is that really what God's called you to? You can end up building an empire which has, has as little to do with the kingdom of God as any financial institution in the marketplace. And you see it in scripture as well. Sons of Eli had a whole religious system built around, around their own greed. Just because you work for a church, you've got pastor as a title. doesn't necessarily mean you're any more onto it than anyone else. And hopefully that doesn't undermine everything else I'm about to say. <laughs> but my point is that the same risks and temptations for me are here as is for you. And I can, I can work and slave in a job at a church and be building my own thing, working for my own security with my, my little family and my little nest in Whitby. The challenge this morning is this. If, if all your current dreams and ambitions in life work out, if you get everything that you want, where do you actually end up? If you get them all, all your ambitions, you nail them all. What do you end up with? And what difference is that really going to make in this world? Or more importantly, in the one to come. The issue for most of us is that we are kicking for the wrong goalposts. We are not aiming for the promised land, for the kingdom of God. It is earthly wealth and ambition and security, not our eternal inheritance that we are pursuing. And so many of us will spend our entire lives 
walking around and around the wilderness instead of marching on into the destiny and eternity that God really has for us. Now, what I am not saying is that it is a sin to be wealthy and to have possessions and to have nice things. I have seen God bless people in the most amazing ways. It's his good pleasure to give his children good things. And I've experienced that myself. And it is not a sin to achieve something significant in the world either. That is often God's plan for people. God raised up Joseph to be the prime minister of Egypt because that was his plan for him. And he gave him so much wealth. Solomon, the same. The wealthiest man probably ever. All part of God's plan. There's nothing sinful in that. There is sin, however, in making our primary purpose anything other than what God has for us. When wealth, when position, your ambitions, when they become your primary purpose instead of God, that is a whole life pointing away from God. And that is what sin is. God's plan for us is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and to see the kingdom of heaven established here on earth. But somehow we've lost that. And we've dedicated our lives to a career and other dreams. What did Jesus have to say about that? Would anyone like to know what Jesus had to say about that? Matthew chapter 6. Please turn there if you have scriptures with you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then on in Luke chapter 12, from verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, 
You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It sounds so good, and even just reading the words, I'm inspired. It's really hard to live in that, though, because the quote-unquote real world that we live in just feels so real, and the bills, they seem quite real, and they don't go away. We're talking here about spiritual and eternal realities. And it's hard to, to live in those because the physical world we live in, our physical reality, is unfortunately so much stronger in us than in the spiritual. Even though this world is just a shadow of the one to come, we live in that shadow. And we don't yet have the sight that we need to be living in, the, in what is the real world. I'm not sure if you've seen The Matrix, but we are living in this dream right now. And there's the spiritual kingdom. That is what is really happening. But we need sight to see that. We need faith to see that. And when we do, and when we can see ourselves as spiritual beings, when we can see ourselves as children of the living God, as citizens of heaven, that then, that change of identity helps us to live the life that Jesus is, is offering here. Many struggle to understand Jesus' teaching because he spoke in parables. 
The Apostle Paul, though, was quite plain spoken. And a lot of his ministry was helping people to understand this new way of life that Jesus was bringing. And he wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is saying exactly the same thing. There is a life truer than the one we are living now. And we can be preparing for that now. Whether you're wealthy in worldly measure or living hand to mouth. The same God provides for us all and is faithful for us all. The same God who provided daily a measure of manna. For the Israelites in the desert is the same God who poured wealth and fame upon Solomon. He gives us what we need. He gives us what he chooses to in his pleasure. Either way, our response is to trust in him. Trust that he is good. Trust that he has the best for us. Trust that he has the best plan for us. And follow it. Whether we have a little or a lot, the call is the same. To live for God's glory. To live for his purpose. And to set our sights on the kingdom he is ushering in. For that is our true home. And this is not just about career. This is not just about money. If you're retired, what are you doing with your time and your resources now? Do you think God's plan for you is gardening and golf. Do you think that's how he wants you to spend your last few decades on earth? That you've earned this. Right now, you have the most amazing ability to be earning not a retirement here on earth, but the most amazing retirement in eternity. You do know that God has a retirement plan, right? It's called death. That's retirement, when you die. But the retirement you come into, 
We couldn't, we can't dream of how amazing it will be. This life he gives us now, it's a life to grow daily into the likeness of Christ. It's to do all we can with every last breath to see his purposes fulfilled. For those of you who are not quite picking up what I'm putting down, here's another way to look at the whole Egypt wilderness promised land metaphor. Egypt was the life we had before Christ. It was a life of bondage. We lived as slaves to sin and slaves to self. But Jesus set us free from that and led us into a season of preparation for the purpose and destiny that he has for us. That season of preparation, that's the wilderness. And it is a good place because God does very good things for us in that time. On a macro level, this is the season in which Christ is preparing the church for its calling in the world. To be a light of grace and love to the nations. And preparing his bride for an eternity with him. On a micro level, on the level of you and me here this morning, the wilderness is the season where Jesus is discipling us. It is where he prepares us for our purpose and our destiny. It is the environment where he is looking to build character, to build faith, and lead us to a daily intimacy and dependence on him. The spirit leads, we follow. And we follow to glory. Or, we just live our life. Make our plans. Follow our own dreams. Whatever they may be. And just see where we end up. And take whatever eternity, I guess, we end up with. That's the other option. Now, I'm, I'm not looking to lay any guilt trips this morning or to in any way scaremonger anyone about their eternity. We don't need to freak out about the life we're living, that it might be a, a waste, and that we're going to die in a spiritual wasteland. Because what we need to understand is that God led us into the wasteland. God led us into the wilderness, and it's his plan to lead us out again. Because the wilderness is not where we're supposed to be, ultimately. It is just the path in the middle towards the true destination. This is the time when we learn obedience and faith. Faith to trust and obedience to follow. We run into trouble when we decide that we don't want to trust God. It's just a bit too hard. We don't want to trust him with our lives. We don't want to follow his plan for us. We just want to make do with our own plans. And that's what the first generation of Israelites out of Egypt did. They chose not to trust. They rebelled against God. And they died in the wilderness. They never entered the promised land. They never received the destiny that God had for them because God gave them the choice to choose what they would do with their lives. And that's what he does with us all. He offers us a glorious future 
and then leaves it to us to make a call if we want it or not. But we do not have to die in the wilderness. We just need faith and obedience. Jesus had a wilderness season too. Remember that? The Holy Spirit led him into the desert before he launched into his earthly mission. He fasted. No food. Nothing to drink for 40 days and nights. Now, if you have any understanding of the human body, you know that's impossible. You'd you'd die. I think it's three or four days without water and you just die. So that's impossible. Unless God was somehow miraculously sustaining you and you had the faith to trust that what God had led you into, he would uphold you in. Turns out Jesus did have faith. And so 40 days and 40 nights, he trusted in God alone to sustain him. And at the end of that time of fasting, then the enemy comes to test him physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Testing his spiritual resolve over his physical needs. Testing his spiritual resolve in the face of what he knew would be his death. As the enemy offered him a shortcut for glory. Tested him with a challenge on what his true identity and his true calling was. And to end up putting the father to the test. But through his wilderness season, Jesus developed a trust in the father. And so when the testing came, he had the strength to face any temptation, to face any test. And once that wilderness season was over, then he launched in the most amazing quest ever. A quest for us to win us back. And every day he depended and trusted on God. Something was reinforced for him every day in the desert, in the wilderness. Some of us tragically may spend our entire lives in the wilderness. But it doesn't have to be that way. You see, you're a citizen of heaven. You're an heir to the kingdom of God. And we need to remember that and live like those words actually mean something. We need to hold on to the words of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart We need to stop thinking like worldly people because that is not who we are. We are a chosen people, grafted into Israel, adopted into God's family. 
We are not slaves in Egypt, toiling for earthly masters. Our lives belong to the king of heaven. Or at least we said they did when we prayed that prayer that one time. The Israelites were not redeemed to wander around the wilderness. And neither were we. We have a promised land that we need to get to. The question then is, well, what does all that mean for tomorrow morning? It means you turn your eyes upon Jesus. He is your meditation. His spirit is your guide. His spirit is your counselor, your teacher. He goes with you to work, to school, to the gym, to parent-teacher interviews. He goes wherever you go. So that everywhere you go, you bring kingdom. You bring kingdom with you. You see, what we discover as we journey along the way with him is that the kingdom of God is not actually a destination. The kingdom of God is something that has been deposited in us. And the more that we grow in him, the more the kingdom of God blossoms and flourishes so that the kingdom of God becomes where we are. Because the king is in us. And the more we give him reign over us, the more his kingdom authority impacts the world around us. So the kingdom of God is very strong in this place right now because sons and daughters of the kingdom are here with faith. And we take that with us and we walk out the door. We take his authority with us as we go out the door. And that's his plan for us. And you see it all over Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. He lived it. And it didn't matter where he was. If he was a slave in the house of a, an Egyptian official, God's grace and favor was on him. And he served to glorify God. If he was in prison, he served to glorify God. And God's favor and authority and grace was on him. Just as it was when he was the prime minister of Egypt. He lived for God's glory and to fulfill God's purposes. He lived with character and with grace wherever he was. Trusting in God no matter what the circumstances were. And what you see, whether it was in Potiphar's house or it was in the prison or it was in the palace in Egypt, that God's favor went with him and he was a blessing to all of those around him. Because he brought kingdom with him. And not Pharaoh's kingdom. God's kingdom. So tomorrow. Whether it's our workplace or school. We take Christ with us. The Christ that lives in us. And we see in our workplace. In our school. And wherever else. An opportunity to bring love. To bring grace. And to bring kingdom influence. For as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Tomorrow, your mission is to be the kingdom of God and establish an embassy for God wherever you go. That your workplace, your classroom, your gym, your wherever actually becomes a consulate for the kingdom of heaven because you're an ambassador and you're there representing God and you bring the kingdom with you. Because wherever you are, you're living not for yourself, not for the career, but for him. And as it just so happens, God does elevate people to um, position. God does bless people. God does lead people to promotions and wealth and favor. But that's along the way. He has a greater purpose for you to transform you more into the likeness of Christ. And to bring the kingdom of God. Christ's appeal was just, don't worry about the stuff. Don't worry about the food, about where you're going to live, what you're going to wear. I've got that. But seek first the kingdom. That's the only thing that actually matters. Now, I've got to believe that you agree with that. At least in principle. And I know the challenge is to actually live it. I know how real life just is. But that is what we have to break through. We need Christ's call in our life just to be bigger than the call the world has on us. That's what I want to pray for this morning. And I I want our prayer to be this week and in weeks to come. That the the realities of the kingdom of heaven would be greater than the realities of this world, which really are just fleeting. Solomon said they are meaningless. So do you need to think about that? Do you need to weigh up those options? Live for Christ, trust him, follow where he leads. Or live for yourself, trust in your own potential, and follow your own path. Only one path leads to an eternal inheritance. The other one won't even get you out of the desert. I want to take just a moment now, just for us to ponder what tomorrow could possibly look like as we step out as ambassadors of Christ, bringing the kingdom of God. What might work look like when that is our primary purpose?
What I want to ask now is that God would speak to us and show us the kingdom potential in our lives and the circumstances that he has us in now. Yes, Father, I just pray that you would give us sight to see you. To see you in our circumstances. To see your kingdom and that the spiritual realities of the kingdom of heaven would be greater in us than those of the world, those of the flesh. I pray, Lord, that we would not miss an opportunity in this wilderness, not miss an opportunity to learn from you, to build faith and to grow our dependence on you. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see those circumstances for what they are and would be constantly looking for what God is doing in us and what you want to do through us. Lord, I pray that you'd rip the scales off our eyes that stop us seeing the realities of the kingdom. Give us spiritual sight and a growing passion for you that blows away any other desires or passions we have. You, Lord, you alone, you first, the primus in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your love because all of this is only accomplished in love. Our love for you and our love for the people that you've created. Pour out your love, I pray.
Imagine what we could achieve. Imagine what we could do for the kingdom if we could live like that. Thank you, Lord. thing that I'm finding in, in, in this journey is I'm, is I'm learning to apply these truths is letting my children go because um, these little girls I just love them and just like I guess my father in heaven I want to look after them, I want to protect them, I want to provide for them and so in a lot of ways the future I want to secure for them um, the future I work for, it's not even for me, it's its for them. And as honorable as that might sound, what I'm doing is I'm taking them out of the dependency of God and into the dependency on Dad. And as much as I want to give them every good thing in the world I possibly could, the thing that I want most for them is a love and dependence on the King of Heaven. And that actually means that I need to step back a bit. I need to trust that God will look after my children just as much as He looks after me. Because it turns out my children are actually His. And the best thing that I can do for them now is to lead them on the sa- into the same dependence that God is trying to lead me into and that's scary but that is the inheritance the legacy I want to leave with my kids that's what I wanted to share this morning so um if you're in a life group um, I think a cool discussion might be what does this actually look like nine to five I don't know that it necessarily means handing out tracks at the uh, at the door at work but um, I don't know maybe it is I've got a few tracks if you want Mike you can take some when you leave but uh, how can we bring grace how can we bring the love of God how can we bring the kingdom of God into wherever God leads us that's I think our meditation this week all right cool thank you